Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. So this week on Gleaming the Tube, we are discussing 2018's mid-90s, the uh, directorial debut of actor Jonah Hill, and it's a coming-of-age story about a 13-year-old boy who gets into skateboarding, starts hanging out with the skateboard kids in Los Angeles. It takes place, as the title may lead you to believe, in the mid-90s. And it felt to me like it felt to me like a passion project. It felt to me like Joan Hill was working some stuff out or had some stuff you wanted to get out on film. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? I thought it was really, really cool for it, like as far as a directorial debut in the skateboarding community when the movie was coming out, there was a lot of discussion about Jonah Hill and about him, how actually involved in the skate scene that he that he was in the mid nineties. And it turned out he was sort of a shot fixture kid, kind of like you know Stevie. He was like sort of a little chubby wannabe skateboarder kid. I think he did a really good job of capturing like the kind of small group dynamic subtleties in teenagers of that time and era that you, I think you kind of, as a skater, you kind of tend to consign that stuff to to the dynamics of skateboarding, but it's really just the dynamics of like young kids becoming new friends with each other. And I thought it was really fun and and I, you know, and really watchable. I I, I saw it in the theater and I I thought it was great. And then upon rewatching it, I thought he did a pretty fantastic job of like capturing that era without being overly nostalgic and fuzzy about it what struck me was because the movie the movie i was thinking of that we had watched for this when i was watching this was skate kitchen but i felt like with skate kitchen the main character falls in with a group of what are essentially peers they're like other young women her own age whereas in this one stevie falls in with kids who are basically older than him um there's one character who is maybe like a seems like a year or two older, but then like the most of the kids who he's hanging out with Ray and fuck shit and fourth grade all seem to be, you know, like uh, four years older, which when you're 13, you know, a 17 year old is there's a wide difference there. Oh, absolutely. And that, I think that's, that's very indicative of what happens with skateboarding is that, you know, Stevie is a child still. And yet the kids that he's hanging out with, like, you know, I remember going to to skateboard somewhere in downtown Woonsocket and there would be 17 and 18 year old kids smoking cigarettes who were like, by that point, almost men. And then I was 13 or 14 and you, you know, you find yourself in cars you don't belong in, you know, hanging out in spaces you're way too young to be dealing with. And I, so I thought that was really on. Every skateboarder has those stories. There's a podcast called The Nine Club. It's sort of a, you know, talking about skateboarding uh, podcast where they interview pros. And it's funny, when they interview the pros, they always say, well, like, well how did you get into skateboarding? And it's, it's funny because it's, it's almost an identical story every time. 
your first skateboard is something that you found in your garage or your friend's garage and it's kind of crappy, but it'll do. And then you get a better, you know, like all of those little touchstones that the movie touches on are very, very relatable to, you know, to any person who found themselves involved in skateboarding at all, because they're just like, like the, the scene where he, the kid Ray gives Stevie that board and then there's that beautiful scene where he show he puts it together for him. There's a version of that story in every skater kid's life where the older kid like shows you how to like put on the grip tape and poke the holes for the bolts. And so, yeah, it was watching it was like really, it, he, he, he like just deftly handled all of those little kind of coming of age moments within skateboarding that I'm sure they exist in tennis or Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, whatever other subculture that you can be involved in, but it's, it's skateboarding. It's, it's almost just like mythologized to a point where every skater has that story. Do the Stevies eventually become the Rays and bring in new Stevies? And then what happens to, to your Rays and fuck shits? Well, so that, okay. So that's the other interesting thing that I really liked about the story is that the story isn't about, Stevie like learning to skate and becoming really amazing for every hundred Stevies maybe 10 of them turn into a Ray you know what I mean like and I think that's the interesting thing about Jonah Hill in real in 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 real life his sort of place within that world is he was kind of a chubby enthusiastic skater kid who was never gonna breach you know that that next level and become a really good skateboarder and I think that's the interesting thing is like that's I I don't think that Stevie becomes a Ray. I think that maybe, because the thing about Ray is he's, he's supposed to be the real, the natural, the super gifted one. And there's, there's not a lot of those kids. The interesting thing about, especially in that era is, you know, we've touched on in a lot of movies we've, we've besides like skate kitchen, we've touched on the, the, the sort of prehistory of that where Vert was dying in the late eighties. But by 1995, the, the, there were these street kids who were learning and doing tricks that were, they were so far and above what anybody else was doing that they were kind of like the magical people, you know, and Ray is supposed to be kind of one of those guys. Like he's got, he's like far and above. He's at the potential pro. Whereas fuck shit is another perfect example of the kid who kind of parties and they call it piling out. He's loves skateboarding, but doesn't want to think about it as, as a serious thing because in 1995, you, you weren't going to go pro unless you were a Ray. You know what I mean? That like most of those kids had no hope to ever possibly get sponsored and ride a skateboard with their name on it. I think Stevie will skateboard for a long time, but I don't think he'll become a Ray. Well, I guess, I, I guess I wasn't saying, does he become a Ray in terms of in level of ability, but I'm wondering in terms of like when the next batch of 13 year olds come in, when the Stevie character is 17, like do the 13 year olds when they're 17 year olds, like pay it forward and be like, okay, well I'm going to mentor this uh, enthusiastic 13 year old. I mean, I think it depends on at that point what his role is. I mean, that's it's the interesting thing. I remember somebody was very critical of the movie because, you know, at the skate shop all day, there were no adults present. And that's, you know, that's absolutely what the dynamic was like at a lot of skate shops where the oldest kid was 17 or 18. 
And I think that Stevie is the type of person who will, yes, become a Ray and, you know, kind of help the next kid out. I think he's definitely, he's such a sweet kid, you know? And I think that's the interesting thing is that Ray, Ray is also a really sweet kid. Yeah. And like, you, you know, you get some insight into Stevie's home life where, you know, his brother beats the crap out of him and, you know, his mom's not around much and you can kind of see why he'd go looking for a surrogate family or a home away from home, if you will. Both he and his older brother are deeply troubled kids, you know, in their own way. The self-harm that Stevie performs on himself, you certainly can understand why he goes out and finds some sort of like, like-minded cats that he can that he can relate to you know i remember being a 13 year old when you're like a 13 year old punk rock kid and you're hanging out with like the older punk kids it makes you feel cool by association like to an outside observer you're not cool but it makes you feel like the coolest thing moving right well it just even the scene where he first shows up at the skate shop and he's sort of just like hanging out by the t-shirts I really responded to the fact that no, nobody ever sort of invites him into the circle. He just sort of like wills himself into that group dynamic. And then suddenly he's just sort of like part of the crew. And I, I remember that happening. I will shout out to Rick Almeida, who we both remember. He was an older kid who was like kind enough to let me try his brand new skateboard and was just by the simple act of being nice to me, I felt like the coolest kid on the planet. I was hanging out with an older kid who like could already do a couple of tricks. And that was huge. So in terms of, uh, I mean, you were around skateboarding culture in the mid nineties in terms of the stuff that the film's showing, like, like how, how accurate was it to you and how accurate was it to like, the broader skateboard community. I think it was about as accurate as it could be. It was interesting. I think, I think, you know, by that time, the shape of a skateboard had kind of turned into this universal, uh, symmetrical, they call it a popsicle stick. And so none of the boards, like at that point, like from then to now, skateboards really haven't evolved much at all. And also, so there was an unfortunate period just before, let's call it 95. I guess we're supposed to assume it's in 95, where skateboarding wheels had gotten really, really, really tiny. And the, the pants got really, really gigantic. It's, it's affectionately known as the fun boy era or the uh, goofy boy era. And by 95, that had kind of finally sort of shifted the pants kind of shrunk down a little bit and the wheel sizes got a little bigger and and aesthetically that was sort of like the beginning of what we know as sort of like what a modern skate kid looks like now like you know jeans a t-shirt a hooded sweatshirt and a and a and sort of a symmetrical shape board and i mean it was pretty well perfectly executed you know all the t-shirts that they were wearing were of the right era and of you know they, those were the companies those kids because because that's the other thing that 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 always sort of throws me off about the difference between growing up skateboarding in Woonsocket, Rhode Island and in Los Angeles is that in Los Angeles you you were you saw professional skateboarders they were around they were at a barbecue behind a skate shop you know what I mean like you had at, you know when they're they're at that spot uh 
where they, they all get chased out, which is a pretty famous skate spot. It's the Santa Monica courthouse in LA. You had such a, so much more access to that, that world that it was really accurate that there would be just a couple of pros hanging out at a skate shop barbecue amongst all the kids. And it, I, I thought that really resonated, you know? Two things that like really jumped out to me when I was watching it was first was I, I thought the soundtrack was really great. I thought clearly a lot of care had been paid to getting the right music. And it wasn't necessarily all music from the mid nineties. Like I think at one point you hear the misfits, you know, it's a mixture of kind of uh hardcore punk and hip hop, which I feel is what was going on in that scene at the time. And man, there was a scene at the end with a car crash that, I thought was really well executed. Like it was very harrowing to watch. And I just thought the way it was directed and the way they kind of showed it happening was like super effective. I was, I was really into that scene. I also thought the scene where Ray, where he finds Stevie sitting out in back of the shop and he's really, really sad. I I thought it would have been really, really tempting to kind of like have Ray say something like profound beyond his years and I thought that it was the way they scripted it, where it was still filled with sort of like likes and ums and, uh, you know what I mean? It was, it it played very much to me like a 17 or 18 year old kid just trying to like relate to this little kid. But he also, you know, it's not like all of a sudden he did like a, you know, like a Dawson's Creek-esque, you know, speech where he just nails it. I'm going to stand in a rowboat. Wearing a blazer. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think that they did a really good job of making it a relatable. He was just having a conversation with the kid. Like the fact that at the end he goes, well, it just, it just feels weird. Like, yeah, that's, that's what a teenage kid would go to, you know, when he doesn't really know how to identify exactly what he's feeling. Just, ah, it just feels kind of weird. And, you know, I liked where in that scene, Ray was like, well, let's just go skating. And then they're skating around to that. I think it's a Morrissey song it may have been tempting to turn that into like a montage of like Ray showing him how to do tricks. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lesser movie would have fallen into that, but it was just like Stevie was skateboarding as good as he could skateboard and Ray was skateboarding as good as he could skateboard. And they were just having a time together, you know, which is, it's so even that, like I, I remember sneaking out of my house at one o'clock in the morning with my friend Doug Sear and just skating around one socket and sleeping in a park for no reason other than to just be like out and away and have like a secret time, you know, those little moments where you like steal a little bit of independence and it, that felt, it really resonated with me. Do you think there are other skateboard movies that kind of touch on this sort of aspect of skateboard culture or do you think this was the first one to broach it i don't think that there's a skate movie that comes as close to just the human part of the story it's like skateboarding isn't a sport but it's also not really a an art form it's just this thing that if you see it and you like it and you aesthetically find it pleasing you just find your tribe of people who also see that you really do feel like you've sort of discovered something special and the same, like I said before, like the same way that theater kids feel like they found something special. It's interesting. Skateboarding is one of those things where it's just like incredibly athletic thing, but not necessarily for athletes. I've heard it described as um, if you're a, if you're an athletic kid, if you all who also has like a big problem with authority and is not necessarily a joiner who doesn't, you know, so team sports are of no interest to you. 
like sometimes that's what will get you into skateboarding. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's it. It's like, I was a, I was a little kid who had boundless energy and wanted to be outside all day and all night long. And then you get to that age where you're sort of not playing so much with, you know, we all played army in the woods or whatever, but then there's a certain point where you're not really playing with toys anymore and you want to be outside, you want to be active. And then for me, I, I, I stood on a skateboard and was like, this is the thing. And then, and then you find out how cool it is. Somebody described is a little bit of an outdated thing to say, but I, I remember as far as just like the, like the draw for skateboarding is it's an aesthetic thing. And somebody described it once as dudes having crushes on other dudes. And that's kind of perfect. Like you're looking at another kid and he's wearing his pants just so, and he's got the right shoes on and he's got a board and he can make it do the things that you want to do. And you want to implant yourself in that. Yeah. I think that's, it, it draws in kind of weirdo kids, you know? Yeah. Cause I think, and I, cause I think other subcultures like that, that aren't necessarily as athletic, like it'd be easy for me to go to the punk rock one because I know that well, but I'm curious if there's like, you know, a certain type of kid who sees the spooky kids at the mall and is like, that's, that's where it's at. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a goth now. And you know, sets about doing that or, or like you said, with theater kids, I think, I think it's always interesting to me when, you know, when you're at that age where you're kind of like trying on different personalities and deciding like what kind of person you're going to be, I guess, A, what you come in contact with and B, what resonates with you that, that you're going to go towards that. Well, for me, I, I, it's funny. I think about that all the time. Like I'm fascinated by the idea of aesthetics and like why one kid sees a juggalo and it's like, that's my thing. I'm, that is what I want to do. And another kid sees a, you know, like his, his older brother in the movie was like a, a dedicated sort of hip hop kid who like his thing was like collecting and listening to nineties rap music. And and yet another kid could see, you know, a Megadeth t-shirt and be like, I want to be, I want to know what that's about, you know? And that's <clears throat> the interesting thing about skateboarding as an industry is that it's like the whole, it's entirely built on trying to sell an aesthetic, you know, an, an aesthetic thing. Like there's companies where it's all black and skulls and long haired kids. And there's companies that are, definitely marketing themselves towards the inner city hip hop kids. And it's interesting that there is sort of within the context of skateboarding, there really is something for everyone. And to bring it back to the movie, I think 1995 is exactly the year where that really started. You know, all of a sudden skateboarding was being marketed to inner city kids and suburban kids and, you know, kids in the Midwest, like there kind of was this, this idea that, you know, you, you, anyone can play quote unquote. It's also skateboarding is interesting because it's, you can't cheat at it. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can be good or not be good. And so that it's like up to you to just sort of fill in the blank as to what you want to get from it. Where were you at with skateboarding in the mid nineties? Cause I know you were like, you were beyond being like a 13 year old. I never had a single inkling that I would ever be like a sponsored skateboarder that just, there were kids that I hung out with who were, who could have been or would have been if there was any kind of like local industry to, to, you know, to get involved with. 
Um, but by the mid nineties, it's weird. I, I was sort of having like a, a little bit of a skate renaissance in that there was a skate park just over the border in Bellingham, Massachusetts that, uh, I would, I would frequent three or four nights a week and my skating sort of, I wasn't trying new tricks. I was just, uh, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of refining the tricks that I knew how to do. And I went through a kind of a, yeah, I went through this sort of like second wind of like skating a lot, just frankly to have something to do because at the time my girlfriend was in like grad school and was writing 700 papers a a, a, a week. And so I just kind of needed to keep myself busy. So I was doing a lot of skateboarding in 1995, but I didn't have a lot of like, there was no aspirational element to it it was just something i was doing was something i was doing for fun and ended up having a lot more fun doing it because of that you know because there was no i I wasn't in a competition with myself to try to move to la and get spot you know that happened once in rhode island and it or a a very few times in rhode island and i wasn't going to be one of those guys that's interesting because like being from rhode island also generally everyone in rhode island knows anyone in Rhode Island who achieves any level of fame. And I've never heard of a professional skateboarder from Rhode Island. Eric Papecki, shout out to Eric Papecki, who, who frankly at it, like could have been one of the extras in that scene behind the skate. Like he moved to LA wound up on a, on a team called menace and was a, a very well-regarded professional skateboarder for quite a while. Um, from the, from the street. I have a, interesting story about that. I remember, you know, we were never, I didn't know Eric Papecki. We weren't friends. You know, this isn't a story of how I was best friends with the guy. We had very barely ever interacted. And I saw his professional debut pro model at lunacy and got a kick out of the fact that it was like a local dude and bought the board and then (laughs) walked out of lunacy. Literally he was standing across the street like leaning up against the CVS. And I was like, ah, geez, like, wow, that's the lamest thing. And he was, he was, he did his very best to be um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, appreciative of the fact that I bought his board and gave me a thumbs up. But like that was, I was like a, you know, I was kind of a younger, I, I don't know if I was younger than him, but he was definitely a class outside of where I was. And I was just like, oh man, I just totally got caught, you know? Oh man, I remember. Uh, do you remember the time Aaron Comet Bus was in Rhode Island and he kind of came to my radio show? I absolutely remember that. And like, in my on my like leather jacket, I had his band's logo printed on it, <laughs> and I was, I was like, Ugh. Um, and he did, he remarked on it actually. He said, "Look, when you're in a band, one of the reasons you start a band is you want people to paint your logo on their leather jacket." So he was very nice about it, but I was hugely embarrassed. Well, it's fun. That's exactly the way that Eric Papecki was nice about it. Like, I don't think he, he was like, you know, he didn't, I don't know that he had the bandwidth to be like, Hey, thank you know, but he just sort of, he like let me off the hook by giving me a simple thumbs up and a, okay, dude. <laughs> and then off I went, you know? Um, and so, yeah, also as far as just like skater details, uh, it's interesting to point out that that, that, Santa Monica Courthouse is a very, very, very widely recognized, very famous skate spot. Um, 
that was an absolute, you know, it was a, it was the, it was the courtyard of a courthouse. So kids were getting kicked out of that place left and right. And then in the, in 2014, Nike actually bought the piece of property and, and, and turned it into, um, it's hard to call it a skate park because they didn't really add any like ramps or, you know, they just sort of left it as a plaza, which is another, that's an interesting thing. Like so much of street skateboarding happens not in, in concrete skate parks, but it happens in these, these sort of disused plazas and disused corners of cities. And it was really interesting to watch that spot go from a thing that I had seen in skate videos from the nineties to a, like an established skate spot owned by by Nike Corporation, you know that's that's pretty interesting to see. That's a very LA thing to happen. I think it's that's one of those things. Like skaters tend to complain a little bit about big big sneaker companies getting involved, but big sneaker people who have the kind of money to be like, oh, you want to just turn this famous place into a into a dedicated skate spot? Okay, here you go. You know, and I think that's that can't be a bad thing, you know? Um, the uh, homeless dudes that are being talked to in that scene at the Santa Monica Courthouse are uh, Del, rapper Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Chad the Muska, Muska, who is possibly the most famous figure to come out of the night, you know, that like 90s boom in skateboarding. Uh, the two pros who were the pros for the company Chocolate were played by Donovan Piscopo or Piscopo, I guess maybe his last name is actually Piscopo, uh, and Kevin White. Uh, what else? The cops who break everything up are are all very famous people in the world of skateboarding. Uh, Aaron Meza, who is who's kind of a filmer, so he was sort of like who maybe who uh, fourth grade was modeled after, and then also professional skateboarders Rick Howard, Chico Brenes, and uh, Donnie Barley. So those were the, the guys who played the cops. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I also thought it was cool. Like they didn't trip over themselves too much, like making it so a younger pro was playing an older, you know, nobody played anybody specific, which I thought was kind of a good idea. So yeah, man. Um, I liked the movie. I did too. I, I liked, I think I liked skate kitchen more. I think there were things about this movie that felt very much like a first time director, but I also think, because it was so personal uh, that came through. So it, it generally, it genuinely felt like, like Jonah Hill felt like this was a story he had to tell more than a story he wanted to tell. Yeah. And I also, I think that like you, I think that you could very easily sit down and watch mid nineties as an, as a person who was not into skateboarding and still enjoy a good movie. But a lot of that stuff was, you know, it was a, a lot of that stuff was a nod to people who were watching it who were skateboarders. It was, a, you know, there, there was some subtleties and some stuff that, you know, didn't really add anything too much to the exposition. But that every former or every skateboarder in the world was watching it, going like, "Oh, I, I know what's going on here." You know, like the, like I said, the scene where the where the where Ray puts Stevie's board together was just. I would. Li- I actually got. Te- I got like a little misty <laughs> because it's such a special. Moment. No, the movie totally played for me, and I'm not someone wildly familiar with skateboarding. My wife enjoyed it too. I do think it works for non-skateboarding enthusiasts as well as skateboarding enthusiasts. Like I, 
I thought it was, I mean, I know that like when, when we were talking about doing this podcast, this was kind of on the short list of movies that we felt we had to do. I mean, I think of, of the skateboard movies, this is like, like in capital letters, a skateboard movie. It's, I, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of the best one. I also think like, you know, it, the, the one that it's not even, a, I, I think a lot of times movies of this, sort of, you know, the teen genre can tend to have an, a sort of an attached cautionary tale always sort of like tacked on. And even that wasn't very heavy handed, you know, it was kid gets himself into some trouble, gets into a car accident, you know, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a, like a, you know, like a Helen Hunt wasn't doing PCP and jumping out the, the window, you know, saying she could fly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Bye.